Korea, for example, has all of their citizens, or not, as far as I understand, all of their citizens on 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 telephone, iPhone apps, and they uh, have to log in to a building when they enter, and so you actually can trace exactly where infected people went, and then you can put the right measures into place, test the relevant people. This is the right way of killing this virus early on. I did have this before because these are places that went through the swine flu, that went through SARS before. So um, so you can set up a system like this. But it does come at a at a cost, just physically creating this this the system costs money. And of course it comes at the cost of potentially giving up freedoms. It's the idea that I can move wherever the hell I want without my government knowing. You give up on this freedom. If if you really trust in the um, in <laughs> in the intentions of your of your government, this can actually be used only for good. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Simon Christenmarker, co-founder and director of research at the Demographics Group. We have a fascinating chat trying to make sense of these chaotic times and how working to understand what is currently happening stimulates the passion Simon has had for history and geography since he was a boy growing up in Germany, where he did much of his study before moving to Australia to study his Masters in Urban Geography at Melbourne University. You can find Simon on Twitter at SimonGerman600 with his 180,000 followers where he loves to share maps and data that explain how the world works. This is a wide-ranging discussion, including how demographic data can help fight the coronavirus. Uh, let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... Thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. Um, I'm going to start off right back where I start all of these interviews. What were you like as an eight-year-old boy? As an eight-year-old boy, I would have been mostly interested in playing football, watching football, and, well, I did reluctantly uh, attend school in Germany as well. Yeah. So were you academic? Were you obviously sporty, but... Well, I guess I guess I always enjoyed the the sport and exercise bit, but the acad- academia wasn't really my thing until my late teens. Mm-hmm. I guess as a, as a kid at school, I really enjoyed all those subjects um, that allowed me to understand how the world works. Yeah. So that was for me that was mostly geography and history. That was my my go to angle yeah. um, on on the world, and I think that actually hasn't changed too much since. So that means I am not a physicist or, or chemist by, by training, which are different wo- uh, ways of viewing the world, but they are a bit um, removed uh, from, my, from my main understanding. So what 
fascinated you about those topics? I guess the the biggest thing that actually drew me to geography and history were perspectives, bigger and longer term perspectives. History, of course, the idea of just going back in history and understanding that certain patterns repeat themselves. Mm. That I thought that was incredibly interesting. And just to understand that history, even though we talk about like something that happened like 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, when we talk about the Roman Empire, that we have uh, reasonably good records of this. That mm-hmm. absolutely uh, blew me away that we actually have, of course, these are tainted in some way or form, um, but that we have great records to actually base our understanding on. I did enjoy that. And the geographic perspective is, of course, about the movement in space. How do people move in space? It's the idea that I first understood globalization, not through an economic perspective, but through a um, through a geographic perspective. Mm. And then in my professional life, I added what we sometimes call uh, geodemographic uh, worldviews or perspectives uh, to the mix, which is just incredibly interesting just to see how puzzle pieces move around and how once one thing changes, one major part of the puzzle changes, everything changes. Mm. And of course, with the coronavirus currently, we have one of those events occurring uh, in real time. So in real time, everything changes and we're just making it up as we go along. That's right. Which is incredibly interesting to to see and my head is constantly buzzing with little riddles. Mm. Uh, of course, I try to understand the bigger picture of how Australia, how the world is reacting to this. But then I find myself asking questions of, is more or less milk being consumed while we are in, in lockdown? Mm, that's and right. I don't have quite an answer. Then I'm yeah. just, this is the kind of stuff that I then call up my contacts yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, and chat about this. So, so quite clearly your child has informed the adult uh, who you I, are I, I now. Think so. So there's always a flow yeah. through through life. It wasn't planned this yeah. way. I never planned as a kid to become, oh, can you please become a um, demographic linear, uh, no. researcher when you when you grow up. But you do look back, like, like about that curiosity and and fascination around the world, and sort of see that there's there's it makes sense. It sort of people. Oh, absolutely. That, and of course, I would argue that I grew up in a in a household filled with books where the idea of just gaining understanding through uh, study um, is is a nice way of engaging with the world. And that always stayed with me, the, the idea of, uh, you know, you always must invest in, in, uh, in reading. Um, so you must consciously force yourself uh, to read. Mm. So this has still been going on one book per week, no matter what. Whether there's a newborn child in the family, whether you're in lockdown, whether you're on holiday, like always got to make time for reading. Yeah, excellent. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in the last week? It's crazy times. What's one of the weirdest, good or not so good things you've seen? Well, well, well the, in terms of the weirdest things that really puzzled me from the get-go, this might be an old hat by now, but it has been this bizarre hoarding behavior in in Australia, which is utterly unfounded from any facts. This is a purely um, fear-induced panic. Mm. Even if we went into complete lockdown, like Wuhan, uh, like Italy, uh, like France and Spain now uh, have been, there's no shortage of 
of any of the standard household goods. There wasn't in in the past. Mm-hmm. I spoke to somebody who grew up in a uh, in a in in Bosnia. Ten years he grew up in a in a war zone, and he said not once did they run out of toilet paper. So it's this understanding that um, every now and then we just fear creates behavior. You know, the first couple mm. of people buy toilet paper because they fear they run out of toilet paper mm. um, for some reason. Then the other people see those people and the, the movement triggers on. It's like, oh, my God, if all those idiots are buying toilet paper, I don't want to be the one guy being left behind. I better buy some toilet paper. And all of a sudden, still three weeks on, we still find shortages of toilet paper. It's but fine, then on the it? other hand, I'm seeing this beautiful supply chain that is actually um, reacting to this. I see that uh, toilet paper manufacturers, instead of selling um, 24 rolls per package, they are now selling four or six per package. Mm. This is how you are um, reacting. The supermarkets have been doing an amazing job. The whole supply chain warehouse system in Australia, big respect to how they manage this on the fly that's right it's it, and it's, it is interesting we've we've got a um a research panel that we we have and we, we're quite they, they're quite engaged and when this was first unfolding um probably about mid mid-march i sort of we, we sent out something to the panel and said we need we need a bit of joy and we said i'll send us some jokes and some funny things you've seen and and i i we almost had to go back to the panel and say no more toilet paper jokes. I think it was being inundated <laughs> with things about toilet paper, and I think on eBay they've had toilet paper for four thousand yeah. dollars a roll, and they're not going to sell it for that much. But a bit yeah. of a joke. But it's it's nice yeah. to find the. Human. I think I think now the memes uh, move on towards cats and dogs again. Is that I right? See the, yeah. yeah, it's it's the idea that this is just again from my local observation at my um, I live next to a to a, to a footy oval where people walk their dogs as well. And I've never seen that many dogs out there. People just are home more. They take more uh, deliberate, conscious exercise with their dogs. They walk their dogs. It's quite interesting how um, some social shifts occur within the whole corona thing as well. How people make more deliberate uh, choices. They deliberately choose to call in on relatives, to call in on friends, to spend more time very Mm -hmm. consciously with their with their loved ones and that includes dogs and cats that's right i heard something yesterday of a a researcher making a prediction about what's going to be one of the biggest outcomes or most predictable outcomes and all these pets being depressed about their owners going back to work (laughs) so get used (laughs) to them being there and all these cat cat and dog psychologists are going to be um huge Uh, (laughs) yeah big growth industry that's it exactly but it is interesting you see all these as we're going through and watching it, so the things that are negative, like I, I, was, I guess I was watching that self-preservation early on where we had the Australian bushfires and I felt like that pulled the best of community out to support each other, maybe because it wasn't always directly impacting the individual. So the record fundraising and uh, support for the, 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 the volunteer fire workers and then I saw this coming through and it felt like the toilet paper and a lot was about self-preservation. But I've been pleased over the last week or so to see it coming back to community. So coming back to more about going, yes, we're looking after ourselves, but wow, we need to make sure we're looking after people who might be um, more isolated. Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. I think it has to do with the um, human psychology and just learned behaviour. So mm. we've been quite used 
as much as you can get used to this, to bushfires, to floods, mm. even to terrorism attacks. And we kind of know how we want to respond as people. And the general idea, the first instinct that we have then as people is to pull together. Mm. You see this in, in, in dangerous or in, in bushfires that people, communities physically come together to help the, um, you know, the threatened people the victims of, of fires, the victims of terrorism, the families that lose loved ones in, 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 in some horrific accident, the community physically gathers together. Mm. So that's our instinct. That's the learned behavior, how we help each other. Yeah. And now we find ourselves in a novel situation. None of the people in Australia, except maybe a couple of migrants who lived through, who lived through SARS or swine flu in their home countries, none of the majority of Australia actually lived through a pandemic. Mm. So it's, it's quite unclear. We didn't know what to do. Mm. So people then still huddled together. You see, this is why people um, met up at large groups at, at the beaches over, over, over a fine weekend. And that's, of course, it's dumb. Mm. But it's also somewhat understandable because people have a bit more time and you draw together. But so we need collectively as a nation, we need to unlearn this type of behavior. Mm. And we've been seeing this over the last two weeks, really, um, when essentially every business in corporate Australia that could did move their operations uh, to the home office. Mm -hmm. And we've seen big companies within days shifting thousands of workers from a physical office building to their own living rooms, mm. kitchens, bathrooms, God knows where people set up workstations. That's right. That is fascinating but so that's how we that's how we learn and we slowly get the hang of it mm. how to live in a in a lockdown how to run as much as we can a a scaled down version of our economy on this that's right it does show, it does illustrate that the importance of having strong culture so whether that's a strong community culture or whether it's a strong business or organizational culture without a strong culture everybody working remotely I would have thought would be much more difficult to to, to make function in a in a more remote way. Absolutely, unless of course it is very deliberately and proactively managed. Mm. There are plenty of people who made friends online mm. and who they never met in person, but they create some sort of bond. Usually, these are on all those niche interest forums and you, you just over the years uh, interacting there you build up some sort of uh, really close rapport mm. um, with people and we are now trying we're, we're right now in this experiment in, in corporate australia where we're doing this with the co-workers and it's mm. quite interesting just to see that well we see this right now um since we are on, on zoom at the moment that you live you look into people's studies you look into people's living rooms mm -hmm. in, in a weird way that humanizes and personalizes your work colleagues a lot because at at, at the office tower your your colleagues always wear the same kind of uh, corporate That's right. outfits and then at home they know you're 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 in a you're in a, you're in a jumper you're in a t-shirt um there's a bit of stuff in the background that, that gives a hint of, of a, of a personal right. aspect. So in a, if it's done correctly and, and consciously and you don't slack off with this, it can actually, it's, it's very possible that you create this online rapport. That's right. But of course, this needs to be managed and people are teaching this themselves right now. 
life experiment. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's interesting. And uh, we've had, we've obviously switched, switched our focus groups. We do a lot of focus groups over to an online environment and where there's bits about not being able to see people eye to eye and develop, develop that rapport. It's also kind of cool to be able to see in people's uh, lounge rooms when you get sort of six or seven people sort of slothing around in their house and you can see some with boxes in the background and others with a yeah. little bit more manicured um, uh, rooms. It's, it's, it is quite fascinating in its own right. Yeah, there we go. Right. You had an article in The Australian on the weekend, on uh, the, the weekend just gone, about how demographics can help uh, fight uh, the coronavirus. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So the idea there was born out of the lack of data. So we're dealing with the coronavirus as a, as a life problem that is emerging. And ideally, we would like to know exactly which of the 25 million people on the Australian continent is infected. Mm -hmm. Then we would quarantine all of these people at home. We would monitor them really carefully. We would provide them the best medical help that we can get. And then within a month, this whole thing would be gone. Mm. Could be that simple. This, yeah. of course, isn't the case. We, we don't know who the people are that are actually infected. Mm. So what you do then is you try to understand um, how a virus usually spreads. And then if you see geographic hotspots, you could actually red zone those hotspots and put a collective set of suburbs under complete lockdown rather than a whole city of 25, uh, of 20, of what we have, Melbourne, maybe 5 million people. Mm -hmm. So we could put this smaller. We could manage it really rigorously. But that's also not possible because we, um, the, the best geographic, most detailed data that we have is cases based on local government area. Mm. And uh, there are 555 local government areas in, in Australia. So these are still very large chunks. Um, so that's not good enough. Mm. So we don't have the precise, exact enough data in order to track this virus um, with a more modern sense. Korea, for example, has all of their citizens, or not, as far as I understand, all of their citizens on on, on telephone, iPhone apps, and they uh, have to log in to a building when they enter. And so you actually can trace exactly where infected people went, and then you can put the right measures into place, test the relevant people. This is the right way of killing this virus early on. So they had that beforehand, did they? Is that They did have this beforehand because these are places that went through the swine flu, that yeah. went through SARS before. Yeah, so, okay. um, so you can set up a system like this. But it does come at a at a cost. Just physically creating this 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 system costs money. And of course it comes at the cost of potentially giving up freedoms. Mm. It's the idea that I can move wherever the hell I want without my government knowing give up on this freedom hmm. if, if you really trust in the um in <laughs> in the intentions of your of your government this can actually be used only for good yeah and then we could kill an, an, an pandemic within days rather than half a year or whatever it would take so can you, explain, can you explain a bit more? So, so there's a case that's like either way in, in, in how Korea is managing it or just how, how Australia could manage it in the future? Well, I think that's it's, it's, it's a particularly difficult 
um, discussion that we will have. Mm. And there will be plenty of people by the end of the year to argue for us to have some sort of um, citizen app on the phone and that we could then very closely follow those spreads. This could protect us absolutely hyper-efficiently from a future pandemic. Mm. But it could also be massively be misused. It's the idea. It's like once your phone knows where you are, once your phone knows, because the next logical step is that your phone accesses your health data. Mm. We see this more and more that that your phone tracks your personal data on all types of um, levels. And then you could quite easily understand where fever symptoms are. And then you could immediately intervene there. That's fine if we do this to fight a global pandemic. It is more difficult if we do this in order to, um, do you want your healthcare um, provider, do you want your health insurer to actually know all of mm. these stuff? Mm. It's difficult. It maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe there is no easy answer. I can argue for it, I can argue against it. Mm. So that was the, the main premise of, of the, of the column in the Australian was to see this, that we do not have this data available. Mm. So we cannot actually just easily kill off the disease. Mm. But so what do we want to do now? We want to ensure that we save as many lives as possible. That's the goal. So the logical step uh, that we considered here was to look at the most vulnerable populations, because we can use the very detailed and excellent demographic data that we have for Australia and look at this data and then try to understand um, where the most vulnerable people live in Australia. Hmm. And what we've done is we we took four, um, four sets of data and looked at this. Just you know, top-level understanding is, of course, population density. We know this is a virus that spreads from mm. human to human. So places where people are huddled close together, they are clearly mm. the most obvious um, breeding ground. That's right. And that's all we've seen overseas. So, yeah. Ex- Exactly. And this is why New York now is the most uh, extremely impacted city on the globe, because it is the most connected city. Mm. And... If you look at population density of Manhattan Island, that's 27,000 residents per square kilometer. Um, The most densely packed area in Australia by by, uh, a country mile, by a big margin, is the Sydney CBD, where we have in the the most central area, you have 9,000 people per square kilometer. So that's three times lower than Manhattan. And then Melbourne CBD is Mm 4,500. But then, of course, because people go in and out of these central hubs, people go in and out of Manhattan Mm. nonstop, and then they go into the whole wild world. Mm. So much movement is is going on there. So we we identified the most um, densely populated places in in Australia, and um, there's no big surprise there. These are, of course, the city centers Mm -hmm. of Australia. And... We then remember that Australia's geography is unique in the whole world in so far as there is no other country on this planet where the population is so concentrated in so few cities. Mm. If you ta- if you disregard countries like Singapore, where everybody lives in a single city, um, we have over two thirds of our population living in just five cities. Yeah. 
That's huge. Mm, so when we talk about uh, from a business perspective, let's say you are an international retailer who wants to conquer the Australian market. That's easy because you just need to get five cities right. If you have uh, a virus entering, you understand that there are essentially five major launch points where you, whoever brought the virus over to Australia, and there'll be, there'll have been plenty of people who've done this. Um, they will at some point have been around one of those major five hubs hmm. where they could have infected easily dozens of people within a day. It's no, no challenge for a virus. And that's the idea of understanding um, the hub and spoke system hmm. of, of how people move within Australia and just to understand that there are certain very crowded places, which is why it was so important that all these knowledge work jobs, those office jobs, that are clustered in the CBDs of Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, uh, Brisbane, that we took those jobs out of the city centre. And we just say, you know what, whoever can so can do so, please work from home. Don't mm -hmm. move. That means all this way commuting into the office where you have contacts or potential touch points with so many people in the train. Take those touch points out. Your office environment, you don't even want to know how many things you touch in an office that other people touch. That's right. So that's great. It's a, it's a must do. So in a sense, Australia is really well located to do so because we just need to clear five major CBDs as much as possible and then we minimize the number of touch points really well. Yeah, so it's, it's much harder in a country like Germany where the five largest cities make up a very small share of the population because there are no big cities in Germany. There are tons of middle-sized cities. So it's harder to manage it this way. Yeah, okay. So Australia isn't too poorly um, set up from from the main geographic setup. So that was the first thing we looked at, population density. Then we also looked at um, age. We simply wanted to understand um, where the retirement hotspots are, essentially. So we looked at um, 80 plus. You can play this game in, in any type of form. You can understand, well, maybe 70 plus should have been the cutoff. But we tried, we, we saw that the, the, um, death rate, if infected, um, was really high, the mortality rate, um, in the 80 plus course. We said, let's just look at this. Let's understand where the most, um, where the retirement places are. And then you saw, of course, saw that there was a general shift from states towards, uh, South Australia and Tasmania. So just from that aging setup, you have those states who are more, uh, more in danger. Mm. And so you then there want to carefully manage, um, communities. Yeah. So danger there. in terms of a death rate kind of situation. Exactly. The, the, the danger is anyone, every single yes. human can easily catch this virus. The virus doesn't discriminate based on age, sex, mm -hmm. gender, income, whatnot, which is, of course, a very interesting um, socioeconomic um, element of this whole thing. That quite often, um, if there is a flood, if there's a fire, mm. and I have tons of money, I just buy a property, a place in the safest corner. I can look at the map and That's I can right. see this thing is safe. I pay a premium to live there. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is what happened after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. This is how cities then um, reshape themselves. What is happening here, if this virus doesn't discriminate, it actually quite literally means that we are all in this together. We have no chance. That's right. This is why um, a a millionaire, billionaire in a, in a gigantic villa 
is just as threatened as a um, exchange student living in a, a one-bedroom apartment somewhere. That's right. I think that's come through the messages of Tom Hanks um, coming out positive with coronavirus and Boris Johnson and all these people there yep. going, wow, this is actually a anyone can catch it kind of thing. It's not a not an elite, elitism at all. When you... Um, you referred to uh, in your article, I understand, to indigenous cultures as well. Exactly. So that was the the, uh, the next logical element from this, moving from the eighty plus cohort. Is well, so the eighty plus cohort, they can at least in theory, in practice, it's pra- practicality matters might be more difficult. They can be isolated mm-hmm. at home, and you just then ensure that family, friends, and the government feeds them essentially and mm-hmm. helps them out if they need to. So we can manage this. It's more difficult if the elderly people don't live alone or with a partner, but live within a multi-generational family. Mm. And so we tried to uh, look at where the multi-generational families are. So we didn't specifically look at indigenous areas, but the multi-generational hotspots are all indigenous areas, remote indigenous communities. These remote communities, usually at the best of times, are very much um, in, a dis- in a position of disadvantage mm. because economic activity isn't happening there and med- the medical situation is poor there in the first place. So that's a double disadvantage usually. Once you find yourself in, a pos- in, in, in times of a global pandemic, these most remote areas are actually h- healthily insulated from all this big traffic. So that's good. So if we, and this is what the NT government has done now, is to cut off um, those remote communities to to forbid tra- travel there and to yeah. uh, to go into a two week quarantine if you want to go there. So it's very difficult mm-hmm. to get there, and it's the only right move because God forbid if a virus hits a remote indigenous community, what the hell do you do then? That's right. Yeah. This virus can spread and will spread in there in record time, so that soon almost everyone will have it. The Sickest people and the most elderly people, the elders of these communities, they will catch this virus for sure. They'll have severe respiratory um, issues and they will then need to be airlifted out of there. Mm. How the hell would you organize this? Right. How the hell would you organize, even if it's just double, uh, dozens of people, you would airlift them, God knows, a brutal effort, you would airlift them to some sort of and the next best hospital that's hours away. Mm. This hospital will probably be something like Alice Springs or Darwin, and these hospitals will be filled to the brim at some stage. That's right. So, intre- oh, sorry, go. Uh, it's just such a dangerous thing to have a virus run amok yeah. in a remote community. So, it doesn't so, matter that they are indigenous per se. I think the 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 family setup of of indigenous communities being so multi generational. And therefore, just creating so many touch points, that just makes the spread of a virus very, very easy. Yeah. And therefore, it must be avoided of, at, at all costs. Yeah. So blocking that off. It was one of the absolutely. one of the latest um, federal government recommendations, suggestions, sort of um, even more more than that is seventy plus year olds shouldn't leave their homes. Um, it's recommended, but it's, it was. 50 plus for uh, people from an Aboriginal background, which is quite interesting. Yeah. It shows that sort of, that still that de- discrepancy still exists in Australia, that 70 plus for, 
for Australians, but 50 plus for, for, for Aboriginals yep. um, because of the higher death, uh, higher mortality rate at, at, at lower age groups, um, which, is, which is fascinating. Horrible, but, but fascinating. Um, one of the other stats I've seen that's been quite interesting, there's something in the paper about um, caravan sales are growing. Like the, uh, People are apparently going to um, some of the caravan uh, places, just going in and paying cash straight away, taking away the caravan because they're looking to go out to the, the regions and escape the cities. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably something that people are going to do more and more. But now what they're doing is saying we want to isolate and we don't want you to travel into the regions because we don't want the any risk of the virus moving. And we had in, I mean, South Australia, and we had uh, an incident in Barossa. So um, that's been sort of uh, had some issues of a, a large growth because of some um, uh, visitors from the US. So comments on that? It's it's an understandable human reaction. Mm. If you look at, if let's say you are in in a, in, a, in an age group that puts you at risk, 60, 70 plus, whatever it is you are becoming slowly fearful. You see the virus slowly take hold in your capital city. Mm. You then go, "How? wait a second, I got 50,000 bucks saved up. I'll buy a bloody caravan and mm. I'll move further out. It makes sense. The logic is there, but it it still carries the assumption in it that you are unaffected, uninfected. Mm. And that must not be the case. You must always view yourself as being infected mm. you, otherwise this whole thing doesn't work so if, assume, if you actually, assume you're infected exactly. you, you, you have to assume that yeah. you are infected yourself and that whatever you touch could potentially carry on um, mm. the virus and once you think this way you'd be uh, somewhat of a douche <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to then say how about I buy a caravan and move to the regions mm. that doesn't work the assumption the main assumption is very risky that people who, who travel uh, to the regions then do, mm-hmm. which is why I would argue if, and this is what the government has been doing to slowly uh, amp up the, um, the limitations to freedom of movement, to uh, what kind of shops are allowed to be open. It's, it's good. I actually am in favor of this. Mm-hmm. Any day that we are delaying this is, of course, costing lives. It's, it's quite quite brutal, but it also ensures an orderly transition from, uh, you know, this, this party uh, freedom of movement lifestyle to a disciplined lockdown. Mm. And the to go cold turkey from one to the next, that's hard. It and is. there are quite a couple of problems that could occur then. We do need to ensure that people feel safe. There are plenty of people on, on good jobs, lots of knowledge workers. The biggest transition then is to start uh, working from home. Woohoo. To be honest, it's it's insane to manage uh, this with two or three kids at home because the kids are not allowed to go to school. Big challenges. Absolutely no question asked. But essentially it means you still have a job. Mm-hmm. And somebody's looking after this. We're now seeing wage subsidies being uh, being introduced. That's fine. And we must ensure absolutely critically that we as a country ensure that for the six months or whatever it takes, everybody gets paid. Yeah. If you lost your job, pay them. Doesn't matter. Pay the, the poorest of the poor, pay them, pay them well. It, it's, it's an economic stimulus anyways. Mm. If, if I'm, if I have no savings and I'm at home, I will need to go out to get, to get food to afford stuff. Mm. 
We on a more frequent basis, is, wouldn't you? So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The risk is too high. Yeah. Just pay people a decent wage. Um, it's, it's, it's not the, the permanent transition towards a universal basic income, as some people might claim. This is a, an almost wartime, um, exemption where you right. say for a couple of months, we must ensure that everybody stays home. And we, you, you will see this in Australia. I'm, I'm convinced that the lockdown gets more, more severe, that there will be, um, very high fines, uh, being put out for people who, who disregard the, the group gathering limits, mm-hmm. which are not two people. Um, so this must come and it's yeah. good. It's good that we, that we phase it in. I'm, I'm actually in, in, in favor of this. Yeah. And it's been interesting, I think, last week. Each week has a different theme to it in my mind, and last week was a a week where it felt like there were a lot more redundancies, and I think that was certainly the week before with Qantas um, uh, certainly sort of... uh, being very quick, quick to respond, um, but last week there was sort of even even more. Um, but even conversations around staff pulling their t- their hours back or or pulling um, pulling back their, um, their their pay for a period of time, or, or certainly um, leaders uh, uh, saying we're going to take a hit, we're going to um, we're going to reduce our pays back quite significantly. Those sort of things there. So so. Not good, but also a way of going. We're we're in this together. I guess is sort of some sense that absolutely. And I think that's so important to understand that certain businesses do the right thing. Mm. They try to understand. They try to communicate with their staff. And transparency is the absolute key here. It, it's quite quite easy just to make a top level decision mm. and say, well, we can't afford this. We crunch the numbers. We have to. Uh, kill kill off 10,000 retail jobs. Mm-hmm. Easy. That makes sense. You, you crunch the numbers, you see it's it's impossible. We say we have to offload this from our company in order to save the company. The government will need to take care of those 10,000 workers. It makes the, the economic logic make sense. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is an inbuilt um, memory in the Australian people and in the workers that will, after this whole thing is over, will value the businesses and, and, and um, I don't know, give back to those businesses that actually have done the right thing. And that doing the right thing, there is economic limits to everything. Yeah, that's but, it, right. but it does mean stuff of saying, can we stretch our resources longer? Mm-hmm. Can we actually collectively all go down to a four-day week, which was done in the last recession, 92? More and more businesses went to just four-week, three, uh, four-day or three-day weeks. We will see this. To a certain, to a certain element, there, there are beautiful stories worldwide of business owners who just try to do really weird, bizarre, um, lateral thinking in order to keep staff employed. You know, cinemas who just um, <laughs> decided that they are now popcorn vendors. Yeah, okay. setting up popcorn yeah. then. All of those hilarious, <laughs> mm-hmm. like little cutesy stories, but it speaks to the to the right attitude of trying to tell people this, and people will not be. They'll be incredibly fearful and, and, and sad when they are being uh, laid off. But there will be situations where a layoff is absolutely unmanageable, mm-hmm. uh, un- unavoidable. Sorry, yeah. where a layoff is unavoidable. So what you want to do then is beforehand, from the very start, you need to open up your books completely, radically, 100% to all of your staff. We're saying not just the, you know, the senior directors. No, everyone. To, to the lowest of the lowly paid people in your business. 
you need to explain it to people. You need to have a narrative. Mm. And you then want to inform your your staff and hopefully actually draw back their feedback. Because mm. some staff might actually be very willing to say, okay, how about we operate on 80% pay? Because that potentially gives us a couple of months longer. Mm. And, and again, it relies should, on a good, strong culture, doesn't it? It relies on... And it, it, we've been talking about culture for the last decade or so, or probably longer than that, but was it culture each strategy for dessert? I think is the saying that's been used, but a bit of rhetoric. But in a way, if you haven't got that already, you're probably not going to have the trust of your your team now. So they're probably not going no. to always no. do that. And, so. it, and, it, and it speaks to leaders um, taking that step. Mm-hmm. You need to open yourself up. You, need, you make yourself vulnerable because you really give, everybody the information that you have. Mm. So there is the risk that people interpret your information in a different way than you are. Mm. So you're very open. That's right. And that's that's hard. That's very scary oh, for lots of is. for lots of people. And it yeah, and it's okay for leaders to feel horrible and yucky. It it it, it and, and and that and that's it's it's probably never been a better time to be transparent and vulnerable and and to be um yeah, to be real about what's occurring because it's it's very it's very known for the whole population that this is a this is a tricky time. Exactly, and I think that's the important thing is that by now uh, people stop thinking of this. Ah, this is just this bizarre, silly virus thing, Wuhan in China. God knows where that even is. That doesn't concern us. That that part or that phase is over. This is now a global issue. And everybody's impacted. Mm. So people now collectively all over the world understand that this is difficult. Mm. But people have the right to demand that we are in this together because it's literally a thing that impacts and touches everyone. Mm. Mm. So we need to make sure that each, that everybody carries the load. And you're, the, the, this is just endless. That the, I lose my job. Yeah. I can't pay my rent. What do I then do? I, do I talk to my landlord mm-hmm. and I say, mate, no money. Yeah. And this, this guy says, well, I'm sorry, but I'm relying on this as my income. And then at the end, the banks don't get their money. And then the banking system breaks down. You see how this goes. It just mm-hmm. trickles down. So we do need to have understanding all over the shop because we don't want our banking system to, to crumble. That's right. It's like, it's so easy to say, oh, the big fat evil banks, but that completely falls short. But I think the banks are actually sort of probably it's it's been interesting. So I've written um, a bit of stuff about the Banking Royal Commission and how the banks did behave poorly and and probably continue to behave poorly. But my sense is that they're they're genuinely doing positive things at the moment because oh. maybe things have been relaxed by the government. Or um, I spoke to our, our our bank manager last week, and 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 certainly they're they're much more open about what they're doing. They're getting hammered by. Hospitality and, and and different businesses really in horrible sort of situations, but but it does sound like finally the banks are are actually out there to support. I think and I think they were doing similar things in the the bushfire situation of if you were impacted by bushfires, they they were offering different packages. And certainly now this is this is far more widespread. So I think it's a time when we're perhaps seeing landlords and banks and others who are very much about business relaxing into going we've we've got to do this to support our community which i think is is quite mind-bogglingly amazing that that's 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 happening absolutely and so if we think about the which of course we do a lot in our business and we start um so in, in my business we we do public speaking mm-hmm. as part of our our service offering um so of course we that 
currently are not speaking at conferences because conferences have been uh, culled mm. for the next couple of months for sure. But we do see more and more people demanding um, strategic advice, mm. you know, via via Zoom, via yeah, uh, right. Skype, um, because people understand where they need support. And but, but, but so when we then constantly think about the post-corona world mm. and you think about, ah, oh, so business... There are many businesses that are right now strategically thinking, how will this change my industry forever? That's right. And you then want to position yourself right now for this. And it's the same, by the way, for the individual worker. If I'm taking this as a um, delicious Corona holiday at the moment, <laughs> just spending more times with, uh, you know, the, the family and the dogs. That's right. Um, that's nice. And there's nothing per se wrong with it, but I'd say it's a risky bit. Mm. Because you want to, as an individual worker, you want to very, very carefully examine your job, your, your individual job and your specific industry. And you'll want to play through in, you know, in the back of your mind. How will this industry change? Mm. How will therefore my role change? And what kind of skill gap exists between what my job would need to have by then and what I'm having right now? Yeah. In a sense, you have Let's call it half a year. I don't know the exact time. Let's call it you have half a year to upskill your individual skills. You have about half a year as a business to get your strategies right, to realign your, to understand how the market will shift. We, well, we can assume, for example, that there will be less migration for the next year or plus. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So then, okay, so where are the growth, this is the demographer speaking, um, where are the growth potentials by age group in different cohorts? So who should I focus in with? What kind of group will be driving um, the growth in Australia? Yeah? And then you look, then you dive deeper into the data and understand where there are still opportunities out there. But they are, they are harder to grasp than ever before. So you do need to be very deliberate in your, in your strategic thinking, in your mapping out of your, of your future direction of your business. Mm, and it's, I'm saying this, this is, it's easy to say here from, from the comfort of my own desk. Um, while businesses are, of course, at the same moment struggling to survive, people are doing just trying to understand this. You know, you had tons of businesses that shifted a thousand plus staff from an office to the to the living room um so okay so you kind of got this out of the way now for the first week then you shift to the next level and say okay so how do we actually make money as a business now like every business will have or most businesses i guess some uh niche industries actually benefited from this uh, webcams are sold out yeah, standing right. desks are sold out um toilet paper those. sold out Extraordinary paper <laughs> sold out that's right so a couple of niche winners. Every crisis is, is, is a success for some unforeseeable niche. So that's fine. But so if you took a hit, how can you compensate for it? How can you, how can you change this? And I think one thing that we will see in, in commercial real estate in particular is that offices get smaller because we've seen already that um, big companies moved to hot desking arrangements. And uh, giving laptops to their staff. Many did this. All the big consulting firms have done this for for many years now, um, so that their staff can work remotely. And they know that they have around a third of their staff out of the office on any given day. That means I can get away 
with a third less of real estate, really expensive real estate that is clustered in the expensive city centers. So that's fine. So I can actually save a bit of money by outsourcing the office uh, to home. No? The workers at home, the knowledge workers who can afford to have a, an extra study don't, or who have a spare room just lying around at home, mm-hmm. um, they don't mind this because then all of a sudden their room is tax deductible. So that's fine. So that's how they, that's how the people, you know, who are not impacted too badly can, can deal with this. Yeah. But the strategic gaps in your industry, you need to go dive deep and have a very level headed, um, approach to this hmm. to actually find, um, you know, to understand how the market will shift over the next couple of, uh, couple of months or That's years. Right. And it takes that confidence, doesn't it really? It, it, and I, I'm, I guess we talked about a, a, a week or two, three, where it really is about exactly what you're saying about transitioning to this new model and, and having uh, staff working remotely. But like a number of organisations are saying, we're trying to make sense of this. We're trying to work it through. We're trying to work out how world, will the world change? How do we be prepared once we start coming out of this? Uh, which, which it will pass. I guess that's sort of a, a human nature is to think that now is, now is the norm and, um, and it won't change, but it will pass. The, the, the good times will, um, will, will move into not so good times and the bad times will get better. And, and that's certainly going to happen now. It's just a matter of when and hopefully it's sooner rather than later. But we, um, we know in this situation that it's going to be at least sort of three, six months plus 12 months, 18 months yeah. of, um, of, of destruction. But it doesn't mean that I guess, Businesses need to turn off their strategic tap. And I wonder whether sort of I've been having a few conversations around going, well, maybe some organisations got a bit um, bit complacent and said, well, we already know all the rules. We know what we need to do. We can pull these levers each year and this is how we get sales. This is how it works. This is what the customers want. We we can ramp out a, a, a customer survey every time they have an interaction and, and, and that'll make us grow. But but now the rules have changed. So they they need to kind of that or they they need to or they've got opportunity to to rethink their businesses re, re, rethink their their priorities their core their core their core role um, wh- whether it's about being more empathetic to to their consumers their customers do you sort of see that do you, do you actually do you, do you do you feel confident that this is a historic line in in the sand that we will be different post covid nineteen than before. Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. You 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 shut down an economy, a global economy, for a period of time. Mm. That means lots of businesses will die. Mm -hmm. Lots of business cultures will die, and so they will just they will be taken out of the system, and they will be replaced by something new. Mm. So this is the idea where people now create new stuff where new bunch of people move up into leadership positions Mm -hmm. and what they will create will be based on their values. And it's quite, quite interesting to think about who will actually step up and do this. So if you think about the, the current leadership um, positions that are being taken over, we still got plenty of baby boomers in, in top leadership positions. They will now slowly be moved out, moved away. Um, and the next generation that steps up and takes over business leadership at, at scale are Gen X. Mm-hmm. You know, Gen X, born between 64 and 81, um, a small generation in size. 
and we always call them the forgotten generation mm -hmm. um, because they're sandwiched between two very large generations, the large boomers, the large millennials. So when we talk usually about um, generations, we just skip them, Gen X, which is a shame because right now they'll be the most, um, in, the, in the decade to come, they'll be the most um, interesting generation because they are of prime leadership age. Yeah, okay. Become CEO at 54. You become prime minister at 56. So you have those kind of top leadership positions. This, this would be Gen X over the next mm -hmm. years. So that means that those Gen X values, they will be, um, they will be the ones that are shaping, um, the main, or setting the main direction. You know, Gen X is the generation that invented work-life balance. The baby boomers were happy to work themselves to death, um, to, and to sacrifice family time for family income. That's the deal they had. Gen X isn't willing to do this, especially not Gen X men, because Gen X as a generation created um, or put all those gender issues to the forefront. Equal pay issues mm -hmm. were, were put to the forefront by Gen X. So that means that once those people come into leadership positions, that's what they will value. And um, if you look at the likelihood of different generations um, to become entrepreneurs, to become entrepreneurial, Everybody is just what you expect them to be. It's just as likely to be an entrepreneur as you expect them to be, except for Gen X men. The, they are way less likely to start their own business than anyone else in Australia. Is that right? Wow. And I argue this is because they are married to Gen X women. <laughs> and Gen X women are not willing to have partners, uh, as in we're talking gen big generalizations. Mm -hmm. They are not willing to have partners who sacrifice family time. Because if you run a business, whatever your business is, work-life balance isn't happening. That That's that's sure. Yeah. As a business owner, you need to live for your business. Otherwise, you will not be successful. And that's what Gen X, uh, that was the male Gen X reaction to this. But now we have all this Gen X in the leadership positions of the big organizations. This will be a more equitable workforce that we're moving into. More, more gender balanced, more work-life balance. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, it, it, and I, I did some writing and, and research last week, and uh, the the boomer generation came out of World War Two, like the decades after World War Two, which was horrible. I think they had sixty million people um, die as a consequence. That many sort of part, part of military, but sort of civilians as well. Um, so the next two or three decades after that, there was a huge sort of change in like from music through to uh, pop culture, and uh, they were seen as consumerism grew out of as a result of, of that. So we're really talking about a, a not so nice thing occurring at the moment, and hopefully it's a it's a um, it's a springboard to prosperity moving from this and, and a quite a different world. Oh. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm yeah. convinced that we will actually, we'll see, a, if you look at the stock market, uh, you know, those beautiful lines that went up and now they went down, this will go up again. That's and right. this is the same with the human spirit. It'll be the same with the, the culture. It, we, we will move away from, if you are globally speaking in a situation uh, where everybody's livelihood is being threatened and their life is being threatened, mm -hmm. And you think about this, the experience that we have in, in lockdown in Adelaide, in lockdown in Melbourne is the same as lockdown in New York, 
in a small French town in Buenos Aires. It is exactly in Wuhan. So you have, for the very first time in a long time, you have a, a truly globally shared experience. Mm, I think that's that's, that's right. absolutely unheard of, and this kind of makes us understand now. You know, we are we are not. Uh, so different, you mm, and I. That's right. Here and there. Exactly. And th that will shape the future world as well. I'm hearing lots of stuff about, um, uh, you know, afterwards we'll close the borders. Uh, this is the, the big, uh, resurgence of the, of the nation states, uh, who are, who are locking everyone, everything off. I very much don't think that. I actually think quite the opposite is the case. I do think it's the case that we have the globally shared experience. That we therefore under, we understand that we are much alike. And we therefore understand the world better. We understand the need of other people better. We understand the shared humanity. And that then opens up for some bright minds. It opens up business opportunities. Mm. It, open, it opens up um, ways of communicating. This is the cultural element, communicating messages that reach a vast amount of people. And it also makes certain things that we um, really focused on and obsessed with over the last decade look uh, quite ridiculous. The okay. celebrity Instagram culture, will this have the same resurgence? I actually would say we've seen the peak now. This That's will still right. be there, of course. But I think as, as a peak uh, of, 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 of fostering or, or gathering public interest, that can't be. That can't be regained afterwards. That's right. But, and, and we often will say in, in organisations that you need a burning deck to change. So if there's no burning deck, you're not going to change. Like we had the bushfires, and that's a literal burning deck for change around climate change and the likes. And then we've got this. This is a this is a burning deck for change. This is a and that's the the, the, the negative moment we're going through in time and history. It will propel us into positive most likely so there'll be some negative that will come from it but it'll it'll be um positive I, I guess i was looking last year at a few trends and i'll be interested in your take as well of trends that were occurring so i was sort of seeing the that local will start counterbalancing global so we had almost became obsessed with global we'll start looking more at, at what's happening in the local community and the other counterbalance was obsession with growth business having growth and, and growth and counterbalancing that with sustainability. So whether it's environmental sustainability or business sustainability, now we're bringing in health sustainability. So that counterbalancing. So growth's not always right. Globalization's not always right. What, what, yeah. what have you seen that were some of the trends you were observing that now they're kind of almost being pushed forward, that they, because of the burning deck we're in now, they will, that we will see some change, yeah. most likely. Uh, from, a, from an urban planning perspective, I find... The local global issue is always always very important um, to understand. It was, we were joking when we talk about Gen X, and sorry, Gen Z, mm. the, the young guys, the Greta Thunberg generation, which is the first generation that grew up um, with mobile phones every time of the day available. Um, so th this is the generation now that thinks globally first. Mm -hmm. You first think of the big picture global thing, climate change, for example, mm. and then eventually down the track, you think of your local issue, yeah. like okay. or whatever it is. And that's the first mode of thinking. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful mode of thinking about the world, actually. Um, but we now see, hopefully, this shift towards the importance of local issues. And, of course, we want to draw the connection. We want to show that we are actually 
um, locally rooted global citizens. Mm -hmm. That's the idea is to actually understand um, that both is occurring. You're always a member of the whole world and you're always a member of your very specific local community. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the most extremes of argument, some people argue just that, you know, they are just, they call themselves global citizens and they act like the local community doesn't count. And then there are people who say, no, I'm just an, I'm just an Australian or I'm just, I'm just living here and mm -hmm. uh, screw the rest. That also doesn't work. We must learn collectively to uh, carry both of those mindsets equally in, in, in our hand. And I think maybe this might just result in, this is just observing my local neighborhood. Um, this might result in changes in urban planning. This is the idea that yeah. um, people now that they are essentially on lockdown for most of the day, they're still allowed to take recreational walks to get a bit of physical exercise in. Now people walk along the streets, left, right and center. In, you know, always couples, <laughs> couples with a pram, mm. an elderly couple, single people, no big groups. But so all of a sudden we see that the built environment actually becomes important. That local, we know this from happiness research anyway, is that that walkable communities, that cyclable, cyclable communities are very, very good for residents' well-being. That's right. And we know for also from happiness research, um, that the most unhappy time of your life is the time that you spend commuting in a car. Mm. That's because you, you sit in a machine that can go 200 kilometers an hour and you're going 12. Yeah. And it is this, this disconnect that drives you mad mm. and it drives you mad an hour a day, two hours a day. God knows for how long you commute. And so if we can take that away from people by working from home and by more people working from home for the rest who still has to go to an office, to a cafe, to a, uh, to a factory, to a warehouse for for their work, then the commute gets less horrible because they can go 15 kilometers an hour instead of 12. Yeah. Um, so we're actually doing a good thing there. And hopefully we do understand in Australia that local planning of communities is very, very important. That's right. We did some work a couple of years ago around... Um, around green space, it was for the um, with the government around mental health benefits of green space with urban consolidation, and it was, it was it was quite fascinating. Then it was it was a conversation, but people were very much saying, "No, we want our big blocks," um, and they didn't always get um, the the role that green space pl played. But I think it's certainly with uh, with high rise apartments, and I think Singapore apparently does it quite well of having green space, but also high rise apartments, and how cities bring that all in that they you need to have a livable city town, um, and that was interesting that that bit of work that green space was very socioeconomic. So in in um, upper medium to upper socioeconomic areas, they had plenty of green space. In um, medium to lower, particularly lower, um, you could do sort of like almost sort of, um, satellite pictures, and you could see lower uh, lower SES areas had not so much green space. So hopefully, as we move forward, um, that balance gets uh, gets considered. Absolutely, and I think in order to argue for more publicly funded green spaces, you just need to go out right now mm. to wherever you are at in Australia and look at your local green spaces and compare the usage to two months ago. Mm -hmm. This will have doubled in most places. Okay. Conscious of your time, I've just got a couple of questions I want to finish off on. Something that's burning, burning in my mind is um, this idea of globally, of which populations have 
have a, have responded quicker and more responsibly. And I'll, I'll add on to that is this rules versus values-based countries, for example. So if a country is more has a population is, um, if the leaders say do X, we will do X, versus a country like, say, the US or Australia, you could argue, we're probably more... Um, wanting to have a counter perspective so we might not we might not always listen to our leaders we might be a bit more values based do you yeah. have any sort of sense uh, about around the world of whether that's occurring or yeah oh you can well, uh, you, i think you want to be careful in terms of how you classify whole mm. countries but uh, as as a whole australia i would argue uh, is very very critical towards the political class mm-hmm. towards leadership um, so big is not beautiful if you're a big business, if you're a big political party, um, you are seen as, you know, the bastards that's that right. better be kept uh, honest. And that's not helping in a situation like this, because what you want right now is a trusted leadership mm-hmm. that tells you what to do. And then everybody follows this. We here follow the leadership because we see the sense in it. If you live in a, um, Autocratic, autocratic government, you listen to what the leadership says because otherwise you're being beaten. Mm. Essentially, it's, it's that simple. So it's yeah. just a fear-induced yeah. um, obedience. Yeah. But even not a, an autocratic pop, um, leadership. Let's say Singapore. That's got a. They seem to have responded quite well to it, as I understand it, and because they yeah. they seem to have a bit more trust in their leadership. I'm, I'm thinking. And uh, Singapore always is a, is a very beautiful and special case because they have a highly condensed population they are democracy um they are leading they're they're listening to the government but Mm -hmm. that's because this has been taught this is learned behavior Mm. uh, that a whole that a whole um community knows how to act and when to listen and again we if the next epidemic strikes in 2023 2028 god knows when we will be way smarter about this. We will also not be uh, seeing that many people clustering in uh, in the beaches, you know, at the beaches at the worst possible mm-hmm. time. But you need to teach people this. Mm. Otherwise, this 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 isn't happening. I don't think there is an there's an argue or differentiation between um, uh, what kind of government you're living under. I think it's really a population that collectively needs to mm. learn. And yeah. then need to needs to act um, as as one coherent coherent unit because I've I've seen the argument being thrown around as well that you say oh look at this you know this this tough uh, Chinese government that now has actually got the virus under control with relatively few uh, fatalities in the end um, so why shouldn't we be like this hmm. and you'll see the you know, there, there, there are enough leaders <laughs> in, in democracies at the moment that I can think of that would be very willing uh, to go down this path yeah. to, to, to embrace more uh, autocratic uh, styles of, of leadership. And that will not be to the benefit. Yeah. Uh, but it's more population. about having trust. So leaders, political leaders building community trust, which has been declining over recent decades of worldwide People generally don't trust their political leaders. It's not an Australian thing. It's not a Western world thing. Yeah. So having a so political leaders in times like this, they need their culture, their community to have as much trust as possible that they're making the right decisions. I, I'd argue that's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, 
suggestions for young people moving forward? That's always a, a closing question we have. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts? If you're a young person, I know, finishing up school, young at uni, what would you suggest moving well, forward? First of all, if you're right now still in school or at university, I'd congratulate you. I'd say you picked the, the time to be born really well a couple of, <laughs> couple of decades ago because what you, where you want to be in, ideally in a career, when you start your career, you want to start it at a global upswing. We're now in a global downswing. That sucks. Mm-hmm. It's really bad to be a CEO right now. It's much more fun to be a CEO in the next five years when every year we'll see growth. And you will just be able, just by the sheer luck of being in this position, you could say, oh, look at me. My mm-hmm. business has been growing. This is the position that most CEOs across the world or in Australia for the last 30 years essentially found themselves in. Yep. Every year, if the whole economy is growing, you, know, you must actually screw up in order to do poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the global economy will be on your side at the moment if you're a young person. So that's the good news you then will want to have a really clear understanding of where the world might be going. The big picture trends that are happening. We'll see, well, the first trend obviously will be the trend towards more knowledge work. So education is still key. We might move now that we have, we see that we saw this, this, this lead of more people working from home, of more interactions ex- uh, jumping online. We might see that the acceptance of online degrees will increase because so far there's still, there's a bit of a mm. hesitation towards those degrees. So that might change. But so education is still key and you still want to be able as a young person to show that you have an education because that is generally seen as the hallmark of, yeah, you're being good enough to be entrusted with a career. So that's what you want. So get some sort of education. And if you're a young person in your mid-20s, first job at the moment, that's scary because you just entered the job market, economy is taking a tank, um, you know, kiss your promotions goodbye for the next year or two, mm-hmm. but be the smart one. Education is key. If you take this as a holiday of working from home more, because everybody will win a bit of free time if mm-hmm. you kill the commute, um, you know, you can spend this time uh, playing video games, which is perfectly fine. And it's fun. You're still allowed to have fun. But the winners of the next decade will be preparing right now to get their skills set up. Yeah. To think, to dream up new business ideas. This is actually not too bad of a time uh, to try a new business. That's right. And it's very telling of leaders and, and future leaders of how their brain operates in this situation. So if you... It, it's hard. Like, it... it, it I'm sure a lot of people are crumbling emotionally, but there will be people out there going, yeah, it's horrible, but he, he, this is the seed of opportunity coming from it. Yeah, what's a moment of joy you've had? What, what, what's bringing you joy at the moment, Simon? Um, in this world of chaos, what's bringing you the most joy? <laughs> well, this is almost cheating. I'm the, I'm the father of a, of a newborn, yeah. uh, so that's, uh, that's an easy good answer. Good timing, very good timing. <laughs> we, we said this, all things considered, this is the time that you want to go um, into family lockdown that's right. anyways. Um, yeah, so all things considered, that's nice. Of course, we can't have grandparents uh, visit yeah. uh, because of travel restrictions. Um, but, you know, really in all things considered, it's, 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 it's fine. So that, that gives me joy. Um, but I also take um, a because I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm still a worried citizen. 
worrying about the health of the the economy and we we as as business consultants and public speakers um we generally say there is um if if australia wins we are winning it's yeah. just that simple if yeah. there's more if the australian economy is doing well there's more demand for consulting and for public speaking which is what what, what i do for a living and um so that's nice so i'm of course concerned i'm thinking about how can we help the australian economy to get uh, back on on its feet to 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 you know to mm-hmm. make the recovery uh, process as fast as possible so that's where i'm the concerned person but i'm also just terribly interested in whatever's happening and this is the biggest life um world changing completely globally world changing event that's happening and it's not not a 9/11 with war it's it's just we we essentially freeze the economy we are globally very very confident that we will get this virus under control eventually we're just in damage control just mm-hmm. trying to understand how many people do need to die before we defeat the virus how many how fast can we uh, ramp up production of of a of a potential future vaccine mm-hmm. and in the meantime how can we maintain uh, economic prosperity as well as possible yeah very difficult riddles that are there I'm but fascinating riddles this. but but fascinating, fascinating riddles aren't they a- so so it's it's, it's that i'm finding the same you can kind of, it, it's it's not easy running a business or on having a, our team we're now working remotely and a few things like losing that disconnect losing that connection but from a researcher side uh, i can sort of see and that's why we're doing a few of these interviews of going making sense of it all it, it will make sense and we will come out of it and um yeah it, 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 it is it's sort of just kind of tr- working that through and Maybe it's that I think it's that balance, isn't it? Really, of not getting pulled down by all the media and all the negativity, um, but knowing how to kind of almost take that on, on, but also um, to to go through it with your eyes open and 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 I guess a I'm not sure if it's bravery or whether it's just sort of um, embracing it to some extent, if that, if that's possible. Oh, ab- absolutely, and I, I think that we will see. That we're taking care of each other. We, mm. we also need to learn how we how to take care of each other in this novel situation. Like there was a bit of a screw up with the hoarding stuff first in the, in the first round of this virus. That was actually just stupid, uh, and we we do need to collectively leave this behind and just go. Okay, how are we helping now? And it's I'm quite astonished hearing all those stories of people helping each other out the right way, of businesses trying to do the mm. right thing. Of landlords um, reaching out to their tenants, giving uh, uh, rent reductions, offering rent reductions. These kind of stories are occurring left, right, and center, and it's beautiful. And this is the really, this is the kind of spirit that you need to understand that you know we are in this together. Nobody chose this thing to happen, but this can be overcome, and it will actually be overcome. And then, you, in, in a weird way, it's almost like when right now. Binge eating, and then we know. Ah, you know, first of January, we try to go jogging again, and mm-hmm. we try to, you know, start the healthy lifestyle again. That's this right. is the same with the economy. We're right now, <laughs> in a sense, binge eating by having the economy drop down to a to a horrible low. We see our stock portfolios, our super balances uh, move down, and I'd say if you don't rely right now on your stock savings or on your superannuation, you shouldn't worry at all. Because this will fix itself within five, six years. This will all be done again. We will we'll be back to where we are now. Um, 
the time frame, I don't really know. This is some, some sort of guesstimation, but that's six to eight years was the time that an economy needed in the past to recover from the worst of hits. Yeah. But in many ways, it's, it's all up from here. <laughs> to a certain extent. There is this kind of relief yeah. of kind of knowing this was probably rock bottom. Yeah. And then it's the idea of momentum. And we do see this, uh, for example, with migration patterns globally. We do see that people don't move because they think their situation is bad. They think they move because they see that even if they put in a lot of effort, their situation isn't getting even marginally better. People look at the trajectory rather than the status quo. Absolutely fascinating um, in, in the terms of how we behave. The status quo doesn't matter. We are future-focused beings. Mm. We look into the future, and if we 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 suspect the future is doing is is looking brighter, we're happy. If we suspect the future is looking worse, we're unhappy. So this is why rock bottom. Once a rock bottom is reached, or you get the sense that rock bottom is reached, there is this beautiful uh, positivity being being released back into the uh, you know to the population to the economy. How can people find you, Simon? What's the best way to get in contact? Uh, the best way to find me is uh, probably on Twitter. I'm, I'm very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, You've got a very I'm, large following, is that right? Oh, yeah. The, the, the Twitter following, um, just sharing maps and data on Twitter. There's 180,000 uh, people on Twitter. So it's, it's quite fun just to know how, um, how many people are out there that just want to see um, facts and, and maps and data presented in a... Um, in a fun and digestible way. Uh, and I'm, I'm curating this. Not all of this stuff is, is, is my own work. Uh, this is the curation of the best and funnest maps of, uh, of the world. So always happy to, um, to be reached there. And I'm always happy to connect with everyone, uh, on LinkedIn and taking, you know, answering emails, um, on LinkedIn or, or my, or my business email for people who just want to reach out, who want to understand, um, how, you know, demographic demographics might actually help them <laughs> yeah, run run a successful business in these in these bumpy bumpy times. Yeah. Would you do you want to give out your email address, or should I, we can put it? Oh, on the, my, my email address is Simon at TDGP. That is short for the Demographics Group. <laughs> TDGP.com.au. Thank you so much, Simon. I really enjoyed that, and all the best from this way up. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me today. All right. All the best.